But let's begin with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in the confidence that you love us, that you know us, that you forgive us, and that you have good things for us. Even this morning, dear Lord, we know that you have brought us here. We pray for those who are still on their way, that you would give them safety and peace, and that you'd guide our time and allow it to be of good profit in our lives and in our marriages. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to talk about um, helping your spouse to grow. And, uh, you know, Marianne is not a very, a, per, a person who's very comfortable up front teaching or leading. But uh, she, she has a great effect upon people in other ways. And um, she certainly has a great effect on my preaching and teaching. Um, and this was really her idea um, to talk about this subject because she, you know, uh, um, she felt like it's, we need to not leave people hopeless. Like, you know, you have to accept your spouse the way they are, but you can't really, um, you know, there's nothing to do to try to move them forward. And so we're going to talk, and we're just going to begin today because this is going to take longer than one week. Um, we're going to talk about helping our spouses to grow. And um, if you want to look, if you want to read a book that's uh, really one of the greatest books ever about this subject, um, is called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, How to Help Others Change. Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. This is actually the study guide because my copy, along with probably more than a hundred other books, was borrowed by someone and I don't know who has it. So, um, how? Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands by Paul David Tripp. You know, a lot of times this subject is not really addressed in marriage classes because um, there's a sense that it's inappropriate to try to help your spouse to change. You have to just accept them for who they are and love them and, uh, and not, you know, and let the Holy Spirit change them. And of course, there's legitimate fears there. Um, and, uh, but there's also you know, important things that love demands that, that uh, require us to desire our, our spouses to grow and things we can do towards that end. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, just think about, you, you want a good marriage for the sake of your service to Christ? You want a good marriage for the sake of your children? Having 
a spouse who is um, godly is a very important part of, of uh, you know, what impacts your children growing up in the Lord. And so this is a, a, something we obviously aspire to. Um, and, you know, I, I've mentioned this before, the, the repercussions out of um, your, your marriage on your children. But at our stage, we're seeing it even beyond that because think about the impact you have on your children and then the impact that they have on their spouses and on their children and it goes down through the generations so it's it's a and not only their spouses and their children but all the people they influence so your our marriages reverberate down through history in a powerful way and um, and so we should want them to be as good as we can and they, and we should want each of us to be as mature in the Lord as we could possibly be. And we want to be able to work for that. Now, you know, the Bible makes it pretty clear that part of the job of every Christian is to work to help the other believers around them grow in Christ. And so that responsibility or that calling, you know, it doesn't, there's not an exception for it when it comes to marriage. That is a good thing for us to aspire to help our spouses to grow. Um, the concept of helping our spouses grow is pretty clear in, you know, a couple passages, a number of passages in the New Testament, but even the passages specifically about marriage. For instance, in Hebrews, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, that probably most famous passage about marriage in the whole New Testament. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blame, blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. It seems to me pretty clear that the, that the, the work that Christ is doing to help his bride to grow and become perfected is being used here as a model for husbands. This is part of, of the calling of a husband. But we see the same thing with wives as well. Um, wives are called to influence their husbands. Even the passage, you know, if people, if I were to say what passages would be so, sort of used to argue against this, I think the first passage people would think of is 1 Peter 3, where it talks about the wife, you know, being quiet when her husband is being disobedient. But even that passage, even the quietness in that passage is has the goal of changing the spouse. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. 
So you're still laboring. You may have changed your tools, but you're still laboring even in that passage where you're dealing with a husband who doesn't want to listen to you. You're laboring to change him by your example. Not only that, but think about how marriage is really the ideal context for growth and change. You certainly know each other better than anyone else on earth. You see each other more frequently, more up close. You know the blemishes and the bad breath. You watch each other how you spend your time how you spend your money, you observe the habits, the patterns, the disciplines, you see you know, whether they have time with the Lord each day or not. You don't have to check on each other. These things are things that, that we're close enough to see. They, uh, we see if our spouse is someone who talks critically about others behind their backs. We see how they handle sickness, how they handle rejection, how they handle praise, how they handle being tired, and being criticized. Who best can help you to change better than your spouse in a, in a deep and profound way? And there's one other reason, and that's that who else do you have more motivation to try to help change? Because you have to live with this person. You are, you are the victim of their sinfulness and the one who benefits most from their godliness. And so you have the, the uh, most motivation to help them to grow and to change. We're walking on thin ice on this subject because there's an awful lot that has gone on and does go on in the name of helping your spouse to change that is more harmful than it is helpful. And, um, and so a lot of people react to the whole concept. You just love, you don't try to change them. Um, and certainly, um, therefore, we have to be careful. And, uh, you know, but, but just because there's danger doesn't mean that you should just give up. You've got to approach it humbly. Humble people, humble people. Proud people make others proud. You can't, a proud person can't help another person grow in humility. That's just against human nature. When someone is being proud with you, your, your natural reaction is to, your pride just rises right up. And so, and that's been the problem with so much in the name of helping someone to change or to grow. Um, another danger is that you don't love them the way they are. 
yes, they, they, uh, it, they ought to change. But that doesn't mean you don't love them the way they are. You love your children the way they are. You know they need to change. But you also love each other the way you are. You don't just love some ideal of what they could become. Boy, that will destroy a marriage fast. Is if your love is really for a theoretical possibility in the future of what your spouse could be. The poor people who said yes to someone who asked them to marry them, and that's really who they loved. It wasn't who the person actually is. We've got, we've got to accept one another as we are, and yet also, because we love them, desire for them to grow. To desire their best. And their best includes growing in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord Jesus. In fact, one of the uh, wanting your child, your spouse to change, is going to be a failure if if your if their changing is what you see as your key to happiness. If you think that they, you're, you can't be happy until they change, you, you're moving in the wrong direction. Um, you know, if you have some need and your spouse isn't filling it and you think that they need to change because of that, then that's just an idol. We're demanding something from our spouses that spouses can't give. Only the Lord can give us, can make us happy. It's not something that you can get from your spouse. And when we, when we look for happiness from each other, we, we're looking for far too little. We're thinking that scraps from our spouse can fulfill us when really what we need is feasts from the Lord. So we have to ask ourselves, why do we want our spouses to change? Do we want them to change because we love them? Or do we want them to change because it makes my life more pleasant or comfortable? It's also okay to want them to change because you love your children. But if it is an idol, how can we expect God to give us an idol? You know, a lot of prayer, even Christian prayer, is just idolatry. It's, Lord, give me my idol. But really... Why would God, if he loves us, why would he give us an idol? And so, it's got to be because of our love for our spouse, not because we want them to change for us. So, a couple litmus tests in terms of, you know, what is motivating me to 
want my spouse to change. Number one, who do I want to change more? Me or my spouse? What is my stronger desire? That I change? That I grow? Or that my spouse changes? My spouse grows? If you don't want to change, if you don't see that you desperately need to change, then you really have no business working on or even seeking change in your spouse. And then one other thing is a good litmus test. You know, when a person becomes more Christ-like, they become a better spouse. But that doesn't mean that it's always more pleasant. I mean, it wasn't always pleasant to be around Jesus, remember. He was constantly exposing people's sins and idolatry. You know, one of the, one of the things that sometimes we enjoy about our spouses is that we have shared idols. And, you know, if your spouse becomes more Christ-like, they're going to be distancing themselves from your shared idols. And they may, they may, instead of say, yeah, let's do that, they may say, no, let's do this instead. And that may not be what you feel like doing. So, you know, do you want your spouse to change even in the ways that makes life less pleasant for you? So this, this is uh, another one of those um, areas or themes or topics where I feel like I made my, some of my greatest mistakes in my marriage. Um, if, if I was honest with myself for many decades, I definitely would have said I want my wife to change more than I want me to change. Um, and really what was behind that was that I arrogantly thought that she was the one who really needed the change. I only needed minor adjustments. And I acknowledged that those were things that I needed to change. But I didn't see them on the same level as I saw hers, her problems. Um, of course, from her perspective, my sin was causing her deep pain. But even if I saw hints of the pain, I didn't think it was justified. And I worked hard to change her, but primarily for my own sake. I prayed for her to change. I tried to convince her to change. I demanded that she change. I challenged her to change. I tried to hold her accountable to change. But the fact was, I wasn't really ready for her to change. And what I mean by that is that God had given her to me for a reason, and my wife's weaknesses were God's goads to help me go where I needed to go. Now, you know what goads were. They were long pointed sticks 
that the uh, shepherds would use, and I don't, I mean, really that people that took care of donkeys and oxen and stuff like that, not so much sheep, but I don't know what to call them. But they, uh, they would use them to, you know, when they were starting to go the wrong way, they'd poke them and say, this isn't the right way to go, <laughs> to steer them in the way. That, and what these animals, you know, they get feisty sometimes and they would kick against the goads. And that's why, you know, in the scriptures it says, don't, I, to, to Paul, I believe, when Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus, don't kick against the goads. Well, the fact was, my wife's weaknesses were God's goad to steer me where he wanted me to go. But instead of accepting that and listening to that, I was kicking against the goads. The fact is, it would have been harmful for me if the ways that I tried to change her had been successful. What a terrible lesson I would have learned. I had swallowed the lie that the secret to my happiness, that what I really needed was a changed spouse. Her weaknesses were like the plow blade that God was using to plow my heart. And so I wasn't ready for her to change. That's what I mean. It wouldn't have been good for me if she had changed at that point. And so I grew bitter. Not only towards my wife, but towards the Lord who gave her to me. It took me a long time to realize that my wife was not my problem that my own heart was my problem. One of the, one of the uh, sins that the Lord convicted me of that I needed to confess to him and repent of was the sin of having confidence in my own perspective. And I've, this has been a sin I've lived with, you know, for many years. I just have way too much confidence in my own perspective. If I just approached the whole thing more humbly, just assumed, which is what I think humility demands, if I just assumed that I was actually a lot more sinful than I realized, and that probably, therefore, a lot of the messes in my life were attributable to a significant degree to, my, to me, then I would have been um, able to approach the whole thing and not be so, and not been bitter, and not been impatient. But the fact is, you know, what we're going to talk about this um, next week, the, uh, what Jesus talks about, the, the speck and the plank, we can't trust our perspective. Sin affects our perspective to see things clearly. It's like a telescope. You can look at one end of a telescope and it makes everything much bigger than it really is. 
and you look at the other end of the telescope and it makes things much smaller than they really are. Well, that you know, the telescope, we look at our own sin and it appears much smaller than it really is. We look at our spouse's sin and it appears much bigger than it really is. The fact is we can't trust our own perspective. So, we'll get more into... Um, next week, you know, into the, uh, the process of seeking your spouse's growth in Christ. But today we talk, we talk mainly about the, uh, the dangers or the, um, the problems that can go along with it. That whole idea of trying to change another person. So, um, the questions today, I have copies of them for everybody. Um, and I thought it'd be good to break up into uh, men and women, um, maybe into uh, twos or threes, because um, we won't have very much time to share if, if we're have everybody together. There you go. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Bless these conversations we're about to have. And bless our marriages, dear Lord, as we seek to love one another and to grow together in the grace of the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.